Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you were having a really good Fourth of July weekend. Um, we are really glad you're here. Um, whether, again, this is your first time with us, first time in a long time, or whether you are a regular uh, attender or member here at the Vista, glad you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. Um, we're going to continue this morning in our series, A Shared Gospel. And so this summer, we're taking a look at some characters, some individuals in the Bible that were friends or ministry partners of the Apostle Paul. And again, the big idea is that, uh, you know, Paul gets a lot of the, 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 the credit, if you will, for doing a lot um, in the early days of Christianity to spread the gospel. But Paul never did anything alone. Paul never traveled alone. He never preached his sermons and spread the gospel alone. He never planted churches alone. Uh, Paul always had a team of people around him that helped him be the person that he was, uh, that helped him accomplish the work of the ministry that he accomplished. And so um, the reason I thought this, uh, this series would be great for the summer is I, I really believe it's a great reminder for us that this is also the way it works in the church, right? It's the way that it should work. What we are called to is not an individual endeavor. Um, it is very much uh, a collective. It is a, a community endeavor. And so while it's true that, you know, there's going to be some people that you're going to see, I mean, you're going to see me, you're going to see Austin, you're going to see Jordan uh, week in and week out. Um, because of what we do, we're up on the stage, but we could not do what we do. We could not be who we are called to be and, and reach the people we need to reach without countless other people that are a part of a really great team. All right. And so I just want to, I just want to make sure that we're reinforcing that idea um, that it takes, it takes uh, all of us to do that. Um, I wanted to let you know uh, really quick, one of the things we're doing this summer um, as we go through the series is to highlight some people in our church that are behind the scenes that, again, help us do what we do. And so each week, we're just taking a different group, many of which you've never met, maybe you don't know them, and we are, uh, we're kind of highlighting a, a different team that helps us do things here. And so this week, we wanted to highlight our production team. Uh, our production team, again, maybe you don't ever get to really see them, but we have, um, we have a group that meets just off stage in a room right back here, and they help, um, you know, make sure that our live stream is going well. Um, they're making sure we have words up on the screen. They're making sure we have graphics uh, to go with everything. We've got people that are in a booth right back here that help make sure the sound is right, the lighting is right. They're uh, running cameras for us, again, for our live stream and our, our podcast and things. And so we're just really grateful for what they do. If we could just take a minute this morning, let's give our production team a hand. They don't... Uh, they don't let me touch buttons and move knobs because I would mess something up for sure. I wanted to have them uh, turn the spotlights on themselves, but I'm not even sure if our spotlights do that or not. Uh, these are, are just men and women that serve faithfully week in and week out, helping um, make, this, make this thing happen. The other thing that we wanted to do this summer, um, and really particularly this month, is we wanted to kind of highlight our discipleship pathway. So if you've been through our membership class, you've heard us talk about the discipleship pathway. This is something that we came up with uh, a few years ago, actually. And really, uh, the, the goal behind it is to help someone go from sort of a, a casual follower of Jesus to someone that is a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus. The goal is to help people mature and grow in their faith. So we would often ask the question, when someone first steps foot into the doors of the Vista, and maybe they're here for the first time, and they're just kind of checking this whole thing out. How do we take them from that to becoming a healthy, mature follower of Christ? What is the pathway in order to, to do that? 
Um, because if, at the end of the day, Jesus says that we are to be making disciples. So how are we doing at that? And so we developed this because we believe that if you'll commit to these things, worship, connect, give, serve, and go, over time in your life, God will use those things to help you become a mature, fully devoted follower of Jesus. So this is, this is the pathway, if you will. If you will submit yourselves to these things, then this is what it looks like. You'll be positioned well to be following Jesus faithfully and maturing in your faith. And so today specifically, I wanted to kind of highlight worship. Um, and interestingly enough, in our text today, as we're looking at um, a guy named Silas, we're going to talk a little bit about worship. But when we say worship, what we mean by that is that we want you to build healthy rhythms and habits and practices of regular worship into your life. There's just something that happens when God's people gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can worship, we can lift up the name of Jesus together collectively. Something that happens in collective corporate worship that doesn't really happen um, any, anywhere else, right? And so we just believe that for you to grow in, in godliness, that worship should be a regular habit and pattern of your life, corporate worship together. So what this means is, it, it means we want you to, when you're in town, when you're able to make being here and being a part of our regular worship services a priority for you and your family. It also means that what we want for you is not to sort of just visit around a bunch of different places and wherever the wind kind of blows that Sunday, you go and, and worship with different groups. Um, we think there's something really good and healthy about committing to a place, being a part of a, of a local body. And, and again, whether that's here or there's other great churches in our community, our challenge would be to find a place where you can kind of plug in and get connected and worship with brothers and sisters in Christ on a regular basis. That's what we mean by worship. And congratulations, you're all here, so you've accomplished step one. Very good, right? Very good. And most of you, most of you even made it on time today on a, on a day when we, we moved service times a little bit. So, you know, congratulations, everybody. Worship, right? Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about, about connect. But this is the pathway we challenge all of our members to kind of uh, walk in and, and follow that, all right? This morning, we are talking about Silas. Maybe you've heard of this guy. He was, um, he was a friend and partner of the Apostle Paul. He was Paul's chosen companion for his second missionary journey, Paul and Silas. We know a lot about Paul. Maybe we don't know a lot about Silas and how important Silas was to the work that Paul accomplished, okay? And so uh, a couple things about him before we jump in. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. 16 and a couple verses in 17. So if you want to begin to turn there, Acts 15 is where we'll start in just a moment. Um, so again, I mentioned he was Paul's chosen companion for his second missionary journey. Silas was a respected, a highly respected member of the early church there in Jerusalem. We'll look at that in a moment as well. He was a Roman citizen. Um, he helped Paul carry out a lot of the work of the gospel in planting churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth. On that, on that journey. Um, and then one interesting thing that a lot of people um, maybe aren't aware of is that most scholars believe that uh, Silas is actually the one that penned the epistles of Peter. And so uh, Peter, uh, in fact, over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, at the end of 1 Peter, Peter says, um, by, he, he mentions this guy named Silvanus. Silvanus, it says, by whose hand I write this, Okay. So if you read First and Second Peter, what you're going to see is that it's, a, it's written in a very sort of polished Greek writing style. Well, Peter was, well, a not polished 
fishermen, right? So how does Peter all of a sudden know how to write really well? Well, the answer is that Peter most likely didn't pen that letter. He is probably dictating to Silas what to say. And then Silas, who was more educated in writing, was putting the words of Peter on the paper, um, write, actually writing the letter. Peter indicates this again in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Uh, again, that Silvanus was most likely Silas, okay? And so we said this last week with John Mark that, man, he had a pretty cool resume. He did ministry in life with guys like Barnabas and Peter and Paul. Well, Silas, Silas has, has that story as well. He, he was able to work with Peter in writing. He was with Peter some. He traveled with, worked alongside of, and is probably more popular uh, for traveling with and working with the Apostle Paul. Both Paul and Peter call Silas a faithful brother, a faithful brother. And you could use a lot of different words to describe Silas. As I read through these chapters this week and thinking about this guy, um, you could use words like trustworthy, dependable, faithful. We could use that really for all of them, faithful. The two words that I landed on that I think sort of, um, in, in my mind, capture who Silas was are the words consistent and reliable. Um, Silas was consistent and Silas was reliable. And I want to just kind of, in our brief time together this morning, I want to kind of show you uh, three ways that I, I think Silas was very consistent and very reliable. And then hopefully we can challenge us to be the same. So Acts 15 is where we'll start here. We're, we're first introduced to Silas in verse 22. Um, and so let me, let me set up what's going on. This is when Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey, and their, their custom was to go into a town, and to start, they would go to the synagogue. They would go to the synagogue, to the Jews, and they would talk about Jesus. There's really no debating, no question that Christianity has, grew out of Judaism, Okay? Christianity grew out of Judaism. And so they would start by going to these towns, going to the synagogue, talking about Jesus. Some of the Jews would believe they would place their faith in Jesus. Others would not. At the same time, what happened is that some Gentiles would hear this message. Those that are outside of Judaism, they would also hear. And some of them would start to place their faith in Jesus. And this is like uh, becomes kind of a big deal in the early church because they don't know what to do with all the Gentiles that are starting to believe in Jesus. Like, what do we need to have them do if they want to be Christians? What do they need to do? And so one of the questions was, do they need to be circumcised first? Okay. Circumcision was this kind of mark of God's people from the Old Testament. It was part of the law. And so now you have Gentiles placing their faith in Jesus and all these uh, Christians that are coming out of Judaism, they're like, well, should they be circumcised first? Like, how does this work? What they're essentially asking is, before you can be a Christian, do you need to first become Jewish? Do you need to first kind of go through Judaism in order to become a Christian? That's really the question for the early church. So in Acts 15, they put together a council, okay? This council is going to help decide, like, do they need to be Jewish first or can they just leap straight to being a Christian, right? How does, how does that work? And ultimately, they come back and they say, no, it's not, it's not Jesus, you know, plus other stuff. It's, it's not adherence to the law or circumcision or whatever. No, it's just it's just about faith in Jesus, okay? And so, Paul and Barnabas have been saying this, but they need to send a little bit of a delegation. They need to pick some people to, to send this letter with them to Antioch to reinforce the message of Paul and Barnabas. And that is when we are first introduced to Silas, okay? We'll read about it here in verse 22. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, so they sent Judas called Bersabbas 
and Silas leading men among the brothers. Leading men among the brothers. They sent them with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds. Yeah, I would think as a grown man needing to be circumcised, that'd be a little unsettling in your mind, right? Although we have given them no instructions. So saying, we didn't say that. That's what they're saying, right? It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So they needed to send a couple of guys. Who can we trust? Who do we send? Man, Judas and Silas. Those are the guys. In verse 32, they're mentioned again, telling us a little bit of their gifting and what they, what they did. It says, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And then at the end of 15, um, a, a passage we read last week, we see that the Apostle Paul chooses Silas to go with him on the second missionary journey. Remember during the first journey, Paul, Barnabas, John Mark was with them. John Mark left him. He deserted him about halfway through the journey. So at the end of 15 here, you have Barnabas who wants to go, hey, let's, let's take John Mark with us again. And Paul's like, no, nah, I, can't, I can't trust that guy. And in, uh, again, I'll re- remind you, verse 39, so there arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas so that they separated from each other. Barnabas then took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. As we first read about Silas in chapter 15, um, the first way that I see that Silas was very consistent and reliable is simply that he was just consistent and reliable in his service. He was just consistent and reliable in his service to the Lord, to the church, to Paul. He was consistent and reliable. He was consistent and reliable. That's why the church chose him. That's why the council chose him. They've got an important letter to be delivered to Antioch. They've got to trust that this person's going to deliver the letter. This person's got to be, um, you know, well-respected enough that, that people are going to listen to him as he reinforces the message of Paul and Barnabas that salvation is about Jesus. And so they choose Silas because he was consistent and reliable in his service. Then it comes time for Paul to choose a companion. Paul had just had John Mark leave him and desert him. He needs someone consistent and reliable in his service to go with him on the next missionary journey. Because you're going to see in a moment, the second missionary journey, it was a doozy. Like every town they go to, there's like a riot and they get beaten and it's just, it goes really, it's difficult. And so Paul's like, I need somebody I can trust. I need someone consistent and reliable who's not going to run out on me and not going to desert me. And so Paul chooses Silas because he's consistent and reliable in his service. That's number one. As we read into chapter 16, this is one of my favorite stories in in all of the New Testament, all right? The story of Paul and Silas here in Philippi. So again, um, setting it up, Paul and Silas start together traveling, and they have a plan, right? They've got a plan. They've got an agenda. They they think they know where they're going. They've got their calendar. They've got their notification set. They've got their itinerary. Here's where we're going to go. And then God sort of changes the plan. Anybody ever have a plan set? And then God's like, nope. We're going a different direction, right? 
That's what happens. That's what happens in, in, in chapter 16. They've got a plan. God shows up in this vision to Paul, closes one door where they were going to go, and instead goes, you're going over here. So they go a new direction because God had opened a door for them to go a new direction. They end up in a city called Philippi, okay? Uh, there was no synagogue in Philippi, and so instead, they're going to join some ladies that met for prayer, and that's where they're going to start, talking to them about Jesus. And this was kind of that, that custom. Well, as they're going to do that, the Bible says there was this one uh, slave girl who was possessed by some sort of spirit. And she is basically bothering them. She's shouting stuff. She's hindering the work of the ministry there. Paul and Silas can't do what God called them to do because this slave girl who was making her masters a lot of money by fortune telling and doing a bunch of other stuff, she's possessed by the spirit and she won't leave them alone. And so it says Paul was actually greatly bothered or greatly annoyed by this. So finally, Paul turns around and he casts the spirit out of her. He sets her free from the bondage that she was under. Sounds like a great story, right? Give the guy a medal, a key to the city. I don't know. Sounds like a really awesome story, except that what we learn is that when she stops doing those things, she's not making her master's money anymore, and they get really, really angry, okay? So we pick up then in chapter 16, verse 19. But when her owners, this little, this little slave girl, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, so the leaders of the city, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. So they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack. And the magistrates tore their garments off of them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and then fastened their feet in stocks. That's a, that's a bad day right there, right? I mean, think about this. It seems like overkill to me, doesn't it? You would think they're mass murderers or something. All they did was trying to go to this prayer meeting and this girl, this, this, this poor uh, spirit-possessed, some sort of evil, demonic, spirit-possessed girl. Paul just cast this, this spirit out of her. Man, you would think that's, it's, it's not bothering it. It's like a great day. And man, all of a sudden, there's like a riot and they're dragging Paul and Silas before the leaders of the city. They're stripped of their clothes. They're beaten with rods like Many blows, it says, many blows. They're beaten, they're bloodied and bruised. Then they throw them in prison, but not just prison, like the inner dungeon, the inner part of the prison where the hardened criminals are, right? And then, as if all that's not enough, they, they fasten them to the wall, they fasten their hands and their feet in stocks, right? That's a, that's a lot. And I don't know about you, and I don't know what I would do in this situation, I don't know what you would do in this situation, but I got to imagine, like, if I'm honest, part of me would be going... Really? Really, God? Like, we had a plan. Like we had an itinerary. I knew where we were going. You changed the plan, and we are faithful to that. Like, we follow that. We go where you tell us to go. We're doing what you tell us to do. We're, we're trying to walk in faith here, and this is what we get. Stripped, beaten, thrown in prison, fastened to the wall. Really? Well, how do Paul and Silas respond? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in the prison, and the prisoners were listening to them. Wow. The second thing I wrote down about Silas is that he was consistent and reliable 
in his worship. Silas's circumstances didn't dictate or determine whether he was going to be a worshiper or not. His circumstances didn't dictate or determine whether he was going to be a worshiper or not. Silas wasn't the kind of guy that's like, man, when things are going well, praise Jesus. When I'm feeling blessed, let's worship, right? He's literally in one of the, what I would say is darkest moments of his life. Obedience to God led him to prison and a severe beating, and he's in there singing and praying, and the prisoners are listening. Silas had determined in his heart that he's going to be a worshiper no matter what. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was kind of reflecting on all the different songs that we sing in worship on Sunday. Have you ever sat back and just thought about the words to the songs that we sing here at the church? It just kind of struck me that there are so many songs that we sing throughout really the history of the church that are all about reinforcing or really all about teaching us how to worship both in good times and in bad times, right? Have you, have you noticed that? I mean, even this morning, we sang a song that said, though the storms may come and the wind may blow, I remain what? Steadfast. We just sang that. Last week, we sang a song called Highlands. I love that song. In the highlands, I will praise in the highlands and the heartache, all the same. We sing a song called, Yes, I Will. I love that song. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will, right? Yes, I will uh, bless you when what? My heart is heavy for all my days. Yes, I will. And then even going back, I was thinking about like old hymns that I used to sing. Um, growing up, I sang, we sang a song called It Is Well. Some of you might remember that old hymn, right? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when what? Sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Like so many of the songs that we sing in worship are all about learning to worship, not just in good times, but when things are really, really bad, right? When, when we're in the valley, when we're in despair, are you still a worshiper or are we the kind of people that are like, when, God is, when I perceive that God has been good to me, I'm going to worship, but when things are really rough, mm, not so much. Paul and Silas remind us of what it looks like to be a worshiper and that worship should not be dependent on our circumstances, no matter what I'm going through, God is still good because of what he's accomplished and done for me in Jesus Christ. So Paul and Silas are in this moment where they're beaten and thrown in prison, fastened to the wall, and there and there are like, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Singing a song that hadn't even been written yet. It's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, they're just worshipers. They had decided they were going to be consistent and they were going to be reliable with their worship. Silas was consistent and reliable in his service. That's why he was chosen by the church, by the council, and by Paul. He was consistent and reliable in his worship. His circumstances did not dictate his worship. And there's one other way that I, look, that I see Silas was very consistent and very reliable. Let's see what happens in the rest of the story. So in verse 26, they're in there singing and praying. Prisoners are listening. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. So we've talked about this before, but if, if you're a Roman guard and you're responsible for prisoners and they get free, they, they get away, you were held responsible. So the Roman government would have killed the guard, 
holding him responsible. And so this is a, a guard. He's a Roman soldier, duty-bound, like prisoners are, are out. So he draws his sword, and he's about to take his own life. Verse 28, but Paul cried out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. The jailer then called for the lights, and he rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And so they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he, he took them that same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. And then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We're going to see next week as we look at another character that this is kind of the catalyst, this is kind of the nucleus there for the church in, in Philippi get started there. It's really an amazing story, okay? As we get into chapter 17, we see that Paul and Silas then go on to Thessalonica, and the, and the story repeats itself. Like the same thing that happened in Philippi almost happens in Thessalonica. They go to the synagogue, they begin to preach. Some of the Jews believe, there's some that do not and get very, very angry, and again, they stir up a rabble, a crowd, a little bit of a riot. They're very upset. And they're looking for Paul and Silas to drag them again before the leaders of the city and accuse them, but they can't find, they can't find Paul and Silas. So we pick up, look at, look at what it says in verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6. So when they, that's the crowd, the mob, could not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers. There's another uh, Christian man, part of the church there. They dragged these other guys before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down. I love that. The gospel of Jesus turned the world upside down. These men who have turned the world upside down have also come here, speaking of Paul and Silas, and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. That's their message, that there's another king besides Caesar. There's one king, actually. His name is Jesus. That's the message. Here's the thing. Silas was also consistent and reliable in his message. Every single chapter that we see Silas, I want you to notice what it's in connection to, right? In chapter 15, we're first introduced to him. Why? They needed somebody consistent and reliable who could go to Antioch with what's the message. The question is about salvation. What's required for salvation? Do you got to become Jewish? Do you got to be circumcised? Do you got to follow the law? They need someone that can validate the, the, the message. Silas is one of the ones chosen to go and tell them, no, it's not about, you know, Jesus plus something else. It's just about Jesus. It's about faith in Jesus. That's it. Then in chapter 16, the jailer runs in, falls down before him and goes, what do I need to do to be saved? And they don't go, well, you need to take these four classes. You need to memorize. Here's some verses. Here's a, a list of some stuff you need to check. Church attendance. You, you need to check the boxes real quick, and then we'll reevaluate, you know, in a month or so and see if you know enough to become a No. He's like, here's what you do. You believe in Jesus. That's it. Sounds pretty simple, right? Believe in Jesus. Chapter 17. What's the message again? The city's all stirred up. They're all mad. Why? These guys are saying there's another king. His name is Jesus. <laughs> do you see the consistency and the reliability of the message? It's the same. It's the same. It's not, you know, Jesus plus some other stuff. It's just about Jesus. And so, church, I hope you see where I'm going with this, but sometimes in the church, we can overcomplicate the gospel, can't we? We can make it about a lot of other stuff. 
Well, you got to do all these things. You got to think this way or act this way or follow this pattern or vote this way. We make it about a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus, faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. That's it. It's not Jesus plus, you know, this or that Jesus plus some sacrament. It's just about faith in Jesus. And that's what Silas reminds us of. Every single chapter, he's chosen because he's clear, he's consistent, he's reliable with his message. And it's a thought about Silas and his whole idea of being consistent and reliable in his service, in his worship, in his message. It just kind of dawned on me that I think there's um, a world out there, a lost and dying world that desperately needs the church to be a lot like Silas. A, A world that desperately needs the church to be consistent and reliable. And here's what I mean by that, and just give you some examples. Like, we can't have the message of the church be, for God so loved the world, but then the actions of the church be that, you know, God favors a particular nation, tribe, tongue, or group. We can't let the message of the church be, Christ is enough, He is all you need, but then the, mess, the, the actions of the church be consumerism, materialism, greed. We can't let the message of the church be deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus and then the actions of the church be to fight for and demand our rights all the time. Do you see the inconsistency sometimes? Like the world kind of looks at the church and, and, and they desperately need the church to be consistent and reliable and sometimes our message is one thing but our actions are a little bit different. We went to a conference about a month ago with our staff and Um, there was a quote that sort of stuck with me. Um, Jenny Allen said this. She said, the world doesn't hate Christians or the church because they're too much like Jesus. She said, I fear that the world hates Christians often because they're not. Sometimes we've kind of convinced ourselves that the world's just against Jesus and followers of Jesus and the world's anti-Jesus and anti-the gospel and there's some truth to that for sure. But man, sometimes the world... The world hates us not because we're too much like Jesus, but maybe because we're not enough like him. I think the world desperately needs the church to be more like Silas, to be consistent and reliable in our service, in our worship, and in our message. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today for your servant, Silas. Father, we're grateful that he teaches us a lot about what it means to be consistent and to be reliable in so many areas of our life. Lord, I pray um, that we could be consistent in our service to you, to the church, to our community. We're grateful, Father, for our community, the place that you've placed us and called us to be. And I pray that, that our community would see us as a consistent and reliable service to them. God, I pray that, again, as they say, that if our church was not here, that we would be missed by our community because our service is that important. God, I pray that we would be consistent in our worship and reliable in our worship, that we would not be people that simply praise you when things are good, when things are going well in our lives, when we feel blessed. But God, we would be people that worship no matter what, in the highest highs and the lowest lows, in the mountaintop or the valley, that we would be committed to lives of worship, that no matter our circumstances, we would see you as a good, good and faithful God and we would lift you high. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be consistent and reliable in our message, 
God, when we are so prone to wanna make the gospel about a lot of other stuff, when we're so prone to chase different agendas, political agendas or ideology or even some theological things and we're, we're prone to sort of get off of the message that you've given us, God, I pray that we would remember the simplicity of the gospel, that salvation is not about Jesus plus anything, but it is about Jesus and faith in him alone by, by grace through faith. And I pray that would be the message that we present to the world. So God, just help us. We just help us to be more like Silas. Help us to be consistent and reliable. We pray this today in Jesus' name, amen.